listening to On the Road with Mike and Andy, Australia's number one weekly podcast made for Aussie truckies by Aussie truckies, here to bring an independent voice to truckies right round Australia. On the Road is proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer, and Queensland Rail committed to improving safety through engineering, innovation and education. G'day and thanks for joining us for episode 115 of On The Road. This week, Liz Martin OAM joins Mike to share her incredible wealth of knowledge on Australian trucking history. We relive some of the brilliant chat we had with country music superstars Gina Jeffries and Tanya Kernigan from an early episode, along with the fabulous single they recorded together last year. There's all the latest from the On The Road newsroom, Mike shares some thought-provoking statistics later in Something To Talk About, and the delightful Taylor Moss takes us out of the show with her brand new single. It's all systems go, so... Let's get this show on the road! Yes, get on with it! G'day, I'm Yogi from Outback Chuckers, and when I'm on the road, we're always on the road doing stuff out on the road, but when we're on the road, we're listening to the big rigs on the road. <laughs> Across the nation, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, australiantruckradio.com.au. I have been threatening for ages to do a history section or a bit of a history bit on the podcast. And I thought, who better to do it with? Who better to talk to than Liz Martin? Now, Liz Martin has a huge history as a writer, historian, a businesswoman, all sorts of things in transport. I don't think that there's anyone in Australia that does it better. She's appeared on the Copy Southbound podcast, episode number 30. And if you want to know all about Liz, please go and have a listen to that. It's a great show. I wanted to welcome you to the show, Liz, and thanks so much for your time. Oh, thank you, Mike, for giving me the opportunity. I have been around and I've seen old trucks all over the place, and you've got a passion for it, mate. Where did the passion come from? Well, it's always been there, and I think it goes back to when I was a very young girl, six, seven, eight years old, and I lived at a place called Top Springs, which is just near Victoria River Downs in the Northern Territory. And trucks were such a big part of our life. Everything that we had, even my correspondence, schooling, our supplies, news, all came to us with the stores truck about every six weeks. So it was always great excitement when the truck arrived. And I just grew up with the knowledge that if it wasn't for trucks, we wouldn't be able to sustain our outback communities. So I've just always been a fan since then. It's really quite an incredible thing. When I was doing a little bit of research before I had a chat with you, I found an address from the Chancellor of Charles Darwin University and it said that you started out driving trucks. You drove the guts truck on the station, mate. What's... <laughs> yeah, I did. My parents had a meatworks in later years on Marakai Station and our baptism by fire learning to drive was we got to drive the guts truck, which varied. It was an old Dodge and then it was a Series 4 old Toyota and all sorts of different things. But yeah, that was definitely our breaking into driving. Oh, I'll tell you what, it can't have been a very pleasant thing. <laughs> well, it probably wasn't, but we didn't know any different. Oh, it's all about the work ethic though, isn't it? Well, it is about the work ethic and we liked it because we were able to get out of sight and, you know, do a few wheelies and <laughs> race up and down the airstrip and do a few things that nobody knew about when we had the vehicles to ourselves. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> kids will be kids, I reckon. Absolutely. Oh, uh, dear. There probably one or two more little, I don't know, shall we say minor blemishes applied to the vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> Just a few. Oh, dear, oh, dear. So, look. I went up to the Hall of Fame for the induction ceremony and I come across a swag of your books there in the bookstore. Yep. And I came home with three or four. I want to talk to you about these books, Liz, because you've done so much work with these books. I just bought some starters, right? So I bought Australia's Road Transport Heritage. Yep. And I bought Stories from the Road 1, 2 and 3. Okay. Well, there's no number four yet. There's no number four? No. Oh, I'll tell you what. And what a read. Australia's Road Transport Heritage one, it really opened my eyes to some of the stories and I, I read a couple of bits out on the show and the feedback I got from the listeners, they want more of this. They really do. So it's quite an interesting thing to a lot of people. Well, it is. And what I find with the trucking history, it's something that traditionally has always sat on the peripheral of other industries. 
it's never really been given its rightful place in history. And it doesn't matter what other industry you're in in Australia, road transport is a vital component of the sustainability of that industry. And I really think it deserves to be acknowledged in its own right. I think you're 100% correct. And that was why, when I thought I'd talk to you about this, I want to start doing a regular spot on the show. And obviously, I'd like you to do it. No, that sounds fantastic. I'd love to do it. What are we going to call it? Will we call it a slice in time? Or what would you like to call it? Oh, you're probably a bit more creative with that sort of thing than me. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I thought a slice in time and we could just sort of do a little bit of... That does sound good because that's what it is. It's just a little slice out of time. Yeah, so it's like a couple of minutes in the show every week and you can sort of tell a story. I believe you wrote a history of Australian trucking from A to Z. Yes, I did. It hasn't actually been published, but it's been on Facebook. I saw one there the other day and we were talking about the magnificent rotten off. I saw that thing up there and I thought, my word. And then, of course, I've seen the magnificent little thing that you put on Facebook there, Aras for Rotten Off. Yep. And, like, can we talk about that truck for a minute? Yeah, certainly. There was only a couple of those brought out of the country, you said. Yes. With the magnificent Rolls-Royce engine in it. It's just an incredible truck. Do you know if that one that's up there still runs? It's got a few mechanical issues, but it will start. No, no. Yeah. Incredible. So down at your museum that you've got going in Port Pirie now, yep. what it was, that's the stories from the Road Museum? Yes, that's correct. Right. So what have you got there? Tell us what you've got there. It's hard to say. I tell people stuff, but there's a lot more than stuff. There's interesting stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, there's some trucks and buses. Yeah. But we've tried to make it so that it appeals to the whole family. Yeah. So we've got things like dolls and tea sets and model cars and trucks and all that sort of thing. But obviously, with a name like Stories from the Road, we concentrate, which is my passion, as you're aware, on the road transport heritage and the history. And we've got some pretty rare trucks here as well. We've got around about 50 in the museum and probably another 30 or 40 in various stages of disrepair outside along the fence line. I'll tell you, I saw there that looks like only this very morning you've got a bit of a delivery. You've got some bonnets and some guards off a B model. <laughs> yeah, I've got a B model that I'm doing up. All right. It is a little bit worse for wear. One of the guards has been very badly dented and the other one slightly dented. But yes, through a friend of a friend in Adelaide, I had a delivery of a bonnet and two mud guards and some other bits and pieces. Sure, it had hen's teeth written on it in black text. Though. Yeah, well, he told me he was bringing up hen's teeth. <laughs> he didn't tell me what it was, but he said it's as rare as hen's teeth, so that's what it's called. I'll tell you what, <laughs> is that going to be the name for the truck when you're done? Probably will always have that name now. <laughs> oh, look, I'll tell you what, no, it's an incredible thing. The work that you've got to do to go and restore an old truck, what does it take? I mean, if anyone knows what it takes to restore an old truck, it's got to be you and your friends. What does it take? Well, there's two or three different ways of defining how you restore a truck. A lot of people literally build it from the ground up and it comes off better than brand new, better than it came off the production line. Yeah. And there's people like Bruce Gunter that's done that with his Kenworth and Norm Bransgrove's just done it with his Diamond Rio. Yeah. There's some absolutely beautiful trucks out there that are actually better than they came out off the production line. And then there's people that probably do build it from the ground up, but they'll hand paint the chassis and, you know, if they haven't got the right clutch, they'll put something else in it. And I wouldn't say bodgy it up because the Australian industry bodgy trucks to make them work in Australia anyway, but they do them up at a lot uh, less value in the cost of doing it up. Yeah. And there's other people that just, you know, it's just a farm truck, always been the farm truck, and they just start taking it to truck shows. And that's just as interesting too. I actually had a really interesting conversation with a bloke the other day about an old studie baker that someone had bought in with a couple of bales of hay and fuel drums and a couple of old boxes on the back of it. And this fellow goes, like, that's disgusting. That's an army truck. And I said, how long do you reckon it was an army truck for? He said, well, it would have done most of World War II. And I said, yeah. And for the next 30 years, it was a farm truck. That is just an important part of its history. You know, what we did with them is part of our cultural history. And that shouldn't be altered or changed or disrespected. No, that's right. Now, there were a lot of the old trucks that were bought after the war where there was a surplus. Guys would just go out and buy them and, as you say, repurpose them and use them for civilian work. Some of the names that we now know from history, that's where they come from. That's where they got their start. Absolutely. Like, our Australian operators hadn't seen anything as big or as powerful as the big Diamond T980s or the Federals or even the NR Max. They were big and powerful. A lot of them jumped in, as you say, at the surplus sales, bought them and converted them to civilian applications. 
Kurt Johansson's Diamond Tea in Alice Springs is a perfect example of that. Yeah. You know, he repowered it. He lengthened the chassis. The exhaust system's actually made out of a World War II gas tank and a bit of ball casing. Like, he modified it, but how he modified it was what made him a legend in our history books because he went on to become one of our most famous carriers. That's right. Well, there's a lot of guys around that did all this sort of stuff. Absolutely. You look at the Belito family from the Territory and all the stuff that they did, and there were people in the middle of nowhere that worked with whatever they had, and they just made it work. They were real mechanics and real hard workers, weren't they? Yeah, well, you really didn't have any choice. There was a uh, very limited supply of any sort of amenity, but mm. particularly after World War II, there was absolutely no supply of spare parts. You know, like when the Hercules was no good in his diamond tea, he put a GM671 in it. Wow. People put bodgy axles in, done all sorts of things, particularly bigger radiators because we had a problem with overheating in Australia. Mm. But yeah, how they modified them is just amazing. Yeah, well, you look at what we see running up and down on the Tanami now with mod cons and the air conditioning and the oil coolers and all that sort of thing. Mate, they've come a long way, haven't they? It is. It's a different industry without a doubt. Yeah. Absolutely. And in one way, our trucks themselves have come so much further in technology and advancement than what the roads they run on are, yeah. particularly if you're talking to roads like the Tanamite. Oh, <laughs> tell you what, mate, we'll look around the eastern states at the moment, look at the state of some of the roads, you'd think you're driving on the Tanamite, some of them. Yeah, I know. I've been through Queensland oh, a few mate. times. <laughs> I'll tell you what, we'll just nip off for a minute and have a quick break and hear from one of the sponsors and we'll be right back. Yep, no problems. There's nothing more devastating for a truck operator than to be involved in a serious road incident. We've all seen the impact of heavy vehicle accidents and at these times, when people are most vulnerable, it's critical that they have immediate support from a strong, stable, reliable and experienced organisation. NTI is Australia's number one truck insurer, the specialist you can count on to protect your transport and logistics assets, with the know-how to take control of the situation and the capability to reduce lost income by getting trucks back on the road again as soon as possible. Specialist products, experienced people, accredited repair and recovery networks and industry advocacy is what we do. It's our specialty and we've been doing it for more than 45 years. For more information, visit the website at nti.com.au or go to the NTI Facebook page. We're back with Liz Martin. OAM, you got an Order of Australia medal, mate. How did that happen? Uh, it was a combination of a lot of things, but mainly through my work with Transport History and some of it with other organisations I've been involved with, like Transport Women Australia, yep. working to uh, raise money for children who lost their parent or the family breadwinner in a truck accident. I guess different things that benefit the industry other than being a driver. Yeah, well, you've been doing a lot of stuff. And like I said right at the start of the interview, you've written probably more than anyone else that at least I know about. Australia's Road Transport Heritage is probably my favourite because it's got a little bit of everything. When did you write this and what went into it? How did it go? The one that you've got is actually the third edition of that particular book. Right. The first one I put out in 1995, and that took me about four years to write that one. I was obviously working, so it was a part-time project after I've hit more research over a few years. Ten years after that, I put it out again as a series of small booklets, which all became the chapters in that big book when that was relaunched in 2015. Right. But that took four years of solid research. We started off that book thinking when we were going to do all the different marks that made an impression on Australian road transport history, that we'd be talking between 100 and 200 trucks. Yeah. We had to stop at 580, and I've still got more now. Look, you can open this book to any page you like, and it really doesn't matter there's something, a fact there about some small slice of Australian road transport that is probably just obscure and, and no one's going to know. Where did you get all the information? <laughs> we spent four years and I had another two people work very closely with me. Right. We put ads in newspapers. We contacted historical societies. We went to different truck shows and things and promoted it. And somebody, even now, somebody will walk in off the street and they'll say to me, have you ever heard of this? My granddad's got one in his shed. You're right. And, you know, it's amazing what comes out of the woodwork. And I learn just as much from people that come into the museum than the knowledge I impart to them while they're here. I find it absolutely incredible some of the things, because I get out in the bush and I get out around some of the properties and everything, and some of the things you see sitting in sheds with a tarp over them, and you go and you have a peek under the tarp, really quite incredible. Yeah. 
It is. And some of them have got a really good social history as well. We've had a bean truck come up here not too long ago. And it's been in the family for five generations. Yeah. And it's been parked in the shed for 70 years. Hasn't turned a wheel. It stopped turning a wheel when the war was on. And that was it. It never got started again. Because the owners went out and bought bigger and heavier vehicles from the surplus sales. And it just sort of sat there. And and, and it just sat there. Absolutely sat there, yeah. don't know whether to call it a cry and shame or, or not. I mean, it, I think that these sort of things need to be brought out and preserved and shown. Well, they really do. But the, the plus side of it is at least it has been saved. Yeah. I grew up on a station near Darwin, as you're aware, and I can remember my whole childhood, with Darwin being the focus of the World War II attack on Australia, we spent half our childhood dragging in World War II things and cutting them up for scrap in my dad's workshop. You know, old blitzers, plain fuselages. You know, we found a few detonators, a couple of live bombs. Mm, lovely. <laughs> it was all there, all around Darwin. Yeah. And the scrap merchants made a fortune out of World War II in Darwin. I'm sure they did. We chopped it all up and no doubt everyone else had had it on their place, chopped it all up too. And I can remember a big halfling being cut up. I can remember blitzes being cut up. Mm. You know, it's just amazing. People would give their eye teeth for those now. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, as a young bloke, I wrecked my fair share of old Holtons that you'd give your eye teeth for now. <laughs> now, that to my father would be sacrilege because he was a holding man. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, we used to buy them for 500 bucks and drive them around the paddock chasing kangaroos. Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, you'd get murdered for it. Dad was an EH freak and all us kids all had EHs, but mm. Dad's was registered, so we used to pinch the quarter window off his when we wanted to go to town. Oh, no. <laughs> and we only told him when we were all grown up about 40 and 50 years old. Well, that's, that's about the only time you can admit to that sort of thing, isn't yeah, it, really? Yeah, absolutely. He couldn't believe it, yeah. Well, I've got some other volumes here, as I mentioned earlier, the stories from the road, and there's the three volumes of that. Is there a fourth volume in the wings? Is there more to come? Yeah, there is a fourth one in the wings. It got delayed a little bit because of COVID and other things. Yeah. But I'm back into that now, and that's probably three quarters done. So there is another one. There is another volume of Australia's Road Transport Heritage, and I'm also doing a uh, children's colouring in book. Wow. So I've got three on the go at the moment. I'll have to put you in touch with the little trucker down under guys from New Zealand. They'd love to know about the colouring book, I'm sure. No, oh, I'm sure they would, yes, absolutely. I'll do that. That's a promise. Where can we get these books? If someone wants to get their own, very own personal copy of Australian Road Transport Heritage, where can we get it from, Liz? Well, they are on eBay and at a few of the shops, but if you want something personal and for me to put a personal message in it and sign it, I do have them in the shop here at Stories from the Road, and they can contact me directly on by phone. I'm in the phone book, obviously. Yeah. Or by Facebook. More than happy to uh, put one in the mail. Righto, no worries at all. And the Stories from the Road Museum is at Port Pirie, so how do we find that? We're south of Port Augusta, and that's fairly easy. We're right on the highway to Adelaide. We're on the main road into Port Pirie, so it's quite a well-trafficked road, and you can't really miss us. And we've got a fairly big premises here, so it's hard to miss. So what, just drive like you're heading towards the smelter and you'll run into it? Well, yeah, we're about three kilometres before you get to the smelter. We're the very first building, other than farmhouses, that you come past on that road. Straight opposite, of course, the truck marshalling yard with the grain. Well, that's a very handy place to be, isn't it? Straight opposite. Absolutely. I've got no excuse to not pull up. I won't be able to say I won't be able to find a park. <laughs> we made sure we bought somewhere where people could pull up in a truck. We haven't had a triple here yet, but we've had a double. Well, I don't think you're allowed to drive a triple on that road yet, are you? No, you're not, but I have seen one. <laughs> <laughs> I nearly fell over. I thought, oh, that's not what I'm thinking I'm seeing, is it? And it was. <laughs> surely not. Surely there wouldn't be some truck driver doing something dodgy out there. Well, there was, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe some of the stories I've heard. I was talking to Murray Lay from Western Australia, and he was telling me about how they got those big trucks sorted out over there. Someone just had the intestinal fortitude to put it on the line and build them, put them to work, and then get the guy that makes the decisions in a helicopter and say, here you go, come and have a look and see how this thing flies. Yes. We've lost that sort of adventurous mentality in trucking now, haven't we? Well, we have, and government's responsible, I think, for stifling a lot of it too. Some of the rules are very justified. Yeah. I've seen some people do some terrible things over time, without a doubt. Yeah. But the room for innovation, unless you're actually a big truck manufacturer like Volvo or International or Kenworth or someone, the motivation for innovation just simply isn't there from the man on the street anymore. 
And they're probably in many ways just as qualified to do that when they're out there on the job and they're experiencing the hardships of working on a dirt road or a rocky terrain or waterless country or whatever the case may be. It even comes down to the highway trucks. We're just starting to see now on the East Coast the PBS vehicles and whether you love them or you hate them. We have to acknowledge the fact that these bigger combinations with more experienced operators and with all the technology that goes into them these days, they're a much better proposition than some of the older gear that you see running around, from a work point of view anyway. Yeah, they are. And at the end of the day, they all contribute to the well-being of our national economy. You know, if you can carry more freight and spend less money on fuel and wages, you're obviously going to be better off if you're the end user somewhere down the line whether you're a homemaker or whether you're a producer that makes something out of that product. It all comes back at the end of the day to the cost to the end user. So I really want to ask you one more question before we wrap up because we're going to hear from you again with your slices of history. Yep. Liz, what's your favourite story from on the road? Oh, look, I have got nearly 2,000 interviews I've done over the last 40 years and I still come across them as I'm sorting through my archives. And I go, oh, I love that story. It's my favourite. And then the next day I did the same thing. (laughs) I think what I really like is the ingenuity of the people in the bush and how they made it happen. I mean, the railways followed the initial truckies in. You know, the truckies were always there first. And like I read a story the other day about some old fella in Queensland used to turn his tea model around and have to drive up the hills backward when he went out and picked up the milk because the fuel used to run out away from where he had the hole in his tank. And, you know, just interesting little things like that really grab at my mind. Yeah, yeah, it's just incredible. I'll tell you what, we had some really tough people. And they did it hard. It was hard work and it was hard men and it was hard country. They did too. Absolutely, yep. I just saw my notepad and I missed a question that I wanted to ask you earlier because maybe you might know the answer to this. I have been trying to find Walsing Matilda. Do you know where it is? Well, I would have said it's the one in Tasmania, and I reckon I've got photos of it in Tasmania. Do you? I'll have a look for you. We were having a talk to Tanya Kernigan, because Andy, my co-host, does these wonderful music interviews on the show. Yep. And Gina Jeffries and Tanya Kernigan came on the show, and Andy asked her, and she said, no, no, we've been down and had a look. It's not even the right model truck, the honey one we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, the honeybee or green, whatever it is. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. She, she said it's not it. Okay, well, maybe they put a different body on it or something. Yeah. But I will make a point of finding out for you. I'll tell you what, mate, if you can find out for me, I would love that. I've got good friends that are friend of a friend type situation. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but I'll make a point of finding out for you. I would love to know where that thing is and talk to whoever's got it now. Yeah, it was certainly very an interesting truck, wasn't it? I remember seeing it. Yeah. And it was just a, a slice of history. Well, it's mind-blowing, absolutely. It's a slice of history, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Liz Martin, OAM, thanks for joining us on the road, and we'll look forward to your contributions down the track. My pleasure, Mike, and I look forward to sharing my little bit of slice of history with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Kermie here from Trucking with Kermie. I listen to On The Road podcasts every week on the Australian Big Rigs Road Show. And when that's done, you might like to pop over to Trucking With Kermie on Facebook for my take on trucking and the people who make the industry what it is. Catch you over there, and in the meantime, take care of you. Got me there, Andy. Gotcha go. Better throw out those anchors, buddy. The traffic's at a standstill up here. I reckon some clowns got themselves stuck under the Dunlop Terrace Railway Bridge again. Again? Maybe he was delivering a bridge and ran out of diesels. Yeah, no, it's no joke, really. According to Queensland Rail, there's been 65 bridge strikes and around 280 of those protection beams hit on the Queensland Rail network in the last financial year. With the fines around 11 and a half grand, you'd think drivers would make a point of knowing the height of their truck. The fines are one thing. More to the point, these people are risking their lives and putting others in danger. Yeah, roger that. Maybe Queensland Rail should do some kind of educational advertising to warn drivers about the danger of bridge strikes. They are, mate. Why do you think we're recording this? <laughs> oh, yeah. They're smart people at Queensland Rail. Yeah, good looking too, just like us. <laughs> this safety message is brought to you by Queensland Rail as a reminder to us all that size matters. Know your trucking height. When Mike and Liz were chatting earlier, they were talking about the whereabouts of the old waltzing Matilda truck, and he made reference to Tanya Kernigan's comments about it in an interview I recorded with Tanya and Gina Jeffries over a year ago. 
Now, a lot of our newer listeners wouldn't have heard the great chat we had about trucks and music, so a blast from the on-the-road past. Here's some highlights from that interview with Gina Jeffries and Tanya Kernigan and the great duet they recorded together. Gina and Tanya, thanks so much for joining us on the road. Hey, Andy, thank you for having us. G'day, Andy, and all your listeners. Tanya here, and it's great to be with you. The question without notice here, as you know, On the Road is made especially for all the hardworking truckies right around our great country. I'm sure you both would have met a lot of them in your travels. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've got to say, too, you know, my dad, Ray Koenigan, dad was recording trucking albums in the late 70s, Andy, mm. and one of his first records was one called Me and Louie on the Road. Mm. I think nearly every Australian had one of those albums back in the 70s. And then many years later, he owned and drove the world's fastest jet-powered truck called Walsing Matilda. I remember, yeah. Yeah. Now, that was an LN7000 Ford Louisville truck. Mm. And just absolutely, it was like part of the family. We toured a lot together with the truck around Australia. And we had a country music traveling show and a jet-powered truck on the road. And a lot of your listeners would remember Matilda. I talk about Matilda like she's a sister because that's how close we were to that truck. It was a great part of our life. And through that truck and through Dad's trucking albums, we got to meet and work with a lot of wonderful truckies out there to the point where Dad even wrote a song called No Truck and Worries. <laughs> <laughs> Is the truck still around? Uh, no, no. We sold it sort of in the mid-'80s. We'd had it for about six years and taken it to a lot of air shows and drag strips and things like that. Mm. And it was time for Dad to make another record and to move into a different area of his career. I'm not exactly sure where Matilda ended up. There's rumours that it ended up in Tasmania carting honey, but I can absolutely rest assured that that is not the truck. Mm. Dad's cast his beady eyes over that particular truck and there's a lot of things that Matilda had that that truck hasn't got. The fact that it was a different Louisville as well, Matilda was the LN7000 and that one down in Tassie isn't. But anyway, there's a lot of rumours about where it ended up, but sometimes you just got to keep moving forward and you can't look back too much. No, that's true. Well, I expect that one of our listeners out there, or at least one, probably has some idea where it is. So if you own it or you know who does, please get in touch with On The Road and let us know. We'd love to follow on the story from that. Now, I'm sure you both agree it's been incredibly tough the past while for all of us in the entertainment business, but particularly tough for our truckies who've pushed on over and above the call of duty. Would you have a message you'd like to pass on to them today? Oh, yeah. Thank you for feeding the nation, for bringing everything to us. It doesn't go unnoticed. You guys are the heroes of Australia delivering across this massive country. And we're so grateful that you continue to do that. Now, I'm sure Tanya's got something to say here too. And then I have a funny story I have to share with you. Okay. Yeah, share us your story, Gina. I'd love to hear it. I'm wondering if Chucky is listening to this now, if he remembers this, but I was just thinking about it. I don't know if it was in the late 90s or it might have been the very early 2000s, but we were playing at West Tamworth Leagues at the Tamworth Country Music Festival and there was a truckie at the show and he came up and said, can you come out the back after the show and sign my truck? <laughs> and Tanya's brother Lee had a big hit at the time called She's My Ute. Yep. But he had signed the truck, She's My Truck. So my hit at the time was Girls Not Out, so I wrote <laughs> Trucks Not Out on this truck. And then Tanya, you were trucks in boots. Do you remember this? I laughed so hard, but all of the big stars at the time signed this guy's truck, but they changed their song <laughs> and whatever their hit song was at the time to Trucks in Boots, Trucks Night Out, She's My Truck. <laughs> Becky had one. I can't remember what Becky Cole's big song was at the time, but <laughs> and it was very funny. So there was this beautiful truck driving around that we had all autographed, but we <laughs> we changed the name to make it truck appropriate. So I don't know if the truck is driving around right now who met us backstage at West Lakes and got us to sign your truck that way. And if it was okay that we did that, because, you know, I thought it was funny. <laughs> but I've never forgotten it. Do you remember that, Tanya? You yeah, wrote, I do. Yeah. Trucks in Boots. <laughs> yeah, I'm just thinking about how that Slim Dusty song was married to my bulldog, Mac. Mm. And I'm yeah. just thinking that if we have the opportunity to sign any of the fellas' bull bars or sun visors or sleeper cabs or what have you, we might be able to write, you know, my old friend. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just... my old truck. <laughs> i got to say that there's a lot of fellas that are married to their trucks out there that they just seem to go up and down the highway. And some of the trucks just amaze me with the way they're lit up like Christmas trees coming along the highways. They really are their pride and joy. Yeah. 
They keep the nation moving and they really are the unsung heroes of our nation. There's no doubt about that. They really are. Now, I remember when, it's not that long since we taught our son, Jackie, he's 18 now, how to drive and his first time out on a freeway between Central Coast and Sydney and we came up near a, you know, a bunch of really big trucks and he got a little bit nervous because the trucks were so big and we said, Jackie, these guys are the professional drivers. These are the guys that you can absolutely trust are going to do the right thing around you. They're not the ones you have to worry about. Yeah. No, it's a great thing to tell a kid, you know, because you guys are actually professional drivers. I'm the worst driver in the world. You don't want to come near me. I'm Anna and I go really slow. <laughs> but yeah, it was a good thing to tell a kid to just have that respect for the trucks as a new yeah. driver and to know that you guys are the professionals and you guys do it better than any of us, obviously. Yeah. Thank you for that story. And I think now that the guys have heard that, wherever you're going to be touring, you're going to have a lot of truckies coming up asking you for little quips on their trucks, I'd say. <laughs> hey, Andy, some of your listeners might not know this, but I have my heavy rigids license. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. About two years ago, I thought, you know, I'm going to learn how to drive a truck because you never know when you might need to do that. Yeah. So I went and had these lessons, you know, and I'm driving all around the countryside with this fellow in a little truck. And so it's heavy rigid. And I like to say that word. I, I don't know if it's because I like to drive it. I just like to say heavy rigid. <laughs> it's pretty good. But i got to say, yeah, I always thought, you know, just should have it up my sleeve in case singing doesn't work out. Yeah. And Tanya, if we're out on the road and one of us has to drive that truck, it's going to be you, not me. Yeah. <laughs> Well, hopefully it'll never come to that and that you'll be needing to drive because we need to keep hearing from you for a long time to come. <laughs> Clearly, I'm way too old to be fanboying away here, but I've been doing it anyway, and it's not every day you get to chat with the delightful Gina Jeffries and Tanya Kernigan. So, Gina and Tanya, thanks so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come and play on the road with us today. Oh, it's our pleasure, Andy. Thank you for having us and to all the truckies out there and your families, and we hope to see you all soon. Yeah, good on you, Andy, and to all the families and all the truckies. Uh, keep the country moving and no trucking worries. You do a great job. Would you both be so kind as to introduce your brand new song for us? Thanks, Andy. This is Gina Jeffries. And I'm Tanya Kernigan. And this is our brand new song. My old friend. <laughs> Thank you, ladies. You See too, you, Andy. Andy. Bye. Bye.
Gina Jeffrey, and I'm Tanya Kernigan, and you're listening to On the Road with Mike and Andy. <laughs> Something to talk about is brought to you by Only Trucks and Credit One. Buying your next truck has never been so easy. Go to onlytrucks.com.au. Should be no surprise to any of us that trucking is one of the most dangerous jobs in Australia. Safe Work Australia is the releaser and the holder of the Safe Work statistics. They recently released a report about the overview of the national work-related fatality data in 2021 and workers' compensation claims, etc. So time to have a bit of a think about that and a bit of a talk about it as well. Safe Work reported 169 people were fatally injured at work in 2021. Now, things like motor vehicle accidents are the major part of those fatalities. 38% of all work fatalities are related to vehicle collisions. Machinery operators and drivers have the highest number of fatalities by occupation. And the agriculture, forestry and fishing industry is far and away the most dangerous profession in the country. Workers' compensation claims, well, over 130,000 serious workers' compensation claims were made in Australia. Body stressing is the leading cause of those. Mental health conditions and things are also on the rise, up from 6% in 2014, 2015 to 9% in 2019-2020. The age group, obviously, with the lowest expectation of injury, etc., is the age group in 35 to 39. As you get older, obviously, there seems to be a bit of an increase in risk. So the takeaway message from all this is that we need to think about what we're doing at work. We need to think about the safe practices. And those job safe and safe work method statements that we all like to laugh about are probably something we really do think about. I know the key groups of people that get injured are those new players who don't know what's going on and don't know what to watch out for. And us older guys who make mistakes with complete confidence. You know, we've got complacent. We've been doing it for ages. We don't take account of what can happen sometimes unexpectedly, even though we know it can happen. It's never happened before, and when it does finally happen, catches us by surprise. These are the things we need to consider. As you get older, it hurts more and takes longer to recover from. Take my word for it. Anyway, that's something to talk about. You know how to get hold of me if you've got something to say. Mike at ontheroadpodcast.com.au or 0418 Keep it safe out there. We'll see you on the road. Copy there, Andy. Yeah, gotcha go. You've got to love that big brekkie at the roadhouse. Oh, you're not wrong. It's a great feed. Hey, was that Davo's truck that came in spluttering and coughing like an old tractor? Yeah, mate. I think it's about time we upgraded the old girl. Yeah, roger that. Though it's a bit of a nightmare shopping for a new rig. doesn't have to be, mate. Found this place called Only Trucks. An online one-stop shop for buying and selling trucks. All the best makes and models. It's associated with Credit One. Organise the finance for you. You can deal with the sellers direct through the website. Cut out the middleman, save time and money. Sounds like the way to go. Where do I find them? Too easy, mate. Go to onlytrucks.com.au and it's all laid out there for you. You should send Davo a text and tell him to go to Only Trucks and get a new rig. Might just buy you a beer or three. Davo? He wouldn't shout if he was bit by a shark, mate. <laughs> Upgrading your truck has never been so easy. Go to onlytrucks.com.au. Number one, you're supposed to have it all together. And when they ask how you're doing, just smile and tell them never better. We just wanted to stop by for a moment and say, G'day, how are you? No, I mean, how are you, really? Physical and mental health is a significant issue for the Australian road transport and logistics industries. Risk factors like long hours, workplace isolation, pressure to meet deadline deliveries and the need for continual alertness all contribute to making us vulnerable to physical and mental health issues. As much as it might feel that way sometimes, you are not alone. There are some incredible people and organisations in our industry whose sole focus is on helping you to stay healthy in body, mind and spirit. All these numbers and addresses are listed on our website at ontheroadpodcast.com.au. 
take care of yourselves. We really just want to see everyone get home safe and well. This is Adam Gibson from NTI, and you're listening to On the Road with Mike and Andy. On the Road News is brought to you by Big Rigs, Australia's national road transport newspaper. G'day, Mike. You're on the countdown, mate. Mate, I'm on the countdown. The Kiwi Crusade is about to get underway. You must be getting excited. I don't know. I'm hoping I don't make any nasty mistakes with words while I'm over there, mate. I was just going to ask if you've been brushing up on your Kiwi. Well, I've been learning a little bit of Kiwi. I've been told I can't say anything about thongs. Have you packed your flip-flops? <laughs> it's got to be jandals, I think. Oh, jandals, that's jandles. right, jandals. Yeah, you know, because thongs are an entirely different thing in New Zealand. Yeah, indeed they are. And have you got your chilli bin in case you catch any fish? Yep, and I'm all looking forward to some fush and chops. <laughs> fush and chops, beautiful. Fush and chops. I've got a T-shirt too, mate. Yeah. It says, don't bray me if you don't know me. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> hey, listen, mate, I saw an ad in the positions vacant section in the Courier-Mail. All right. It was Brisbane International Airport. They're looking for baggage handlers, and I've been looking for a way to earn a little bit of extra pocket money, so I thought I'd give it a go. Yep. So I went in. turns out I had a full day's induction and training, but I didn't realise there was so much I had to learn. So by the end of the day, I decided it wasn't for me. Right. There was just too much to take on board. <laughs> oh, God, you're an idiot. <laughs> I am. Getting into the news, mate. The Albanese government has lifted the baseline stock requirements of diesel in Australia to protect consumers from major disruptions to supply. Seriously, this is something that does need to happen. We do need a greater onshore reserve of fuels. Mm. And, you know, they've lifted the reserve to 24 days for petrol and they've lifted the reserve for diesel for 20 days and jet fuel for 24 days. Mm. I don't think that they seem to realise how short a time period that is. And even if we've started to have a problem today, it's going to take us more time than that to actually get the fuel in from overseas if we're going to start importing it. Yeah, they probably think we'll all be driving electric vehicles within 24 days, so it'll be all right. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can just imagine, mate, on electric vehicles, I know this is against the story, right? Not hmm. about petrol and things like that, but I got overtaken by a buddy Tesla the other day. Yeah. Man, those things go like a rocket if they stick the boot into it. Oh, they do. They just whoosh. Yeah, anyway, that's a side issue. Yeah, but 10k up the road, you'll overtake them when they're <laughs> sitting there with the generator out of the boot. <laughs> that's right. Sitting there on the side of the road with a flat battery. Mm. Anyway, we talk about how much production we have on shore here. Yep. The Geelong refinery is going to get a $300 million upgrade and they're going to start producing low sulfur fuels. And Geelong refinery produces around 50% of Victoria's fuel. Mm. With up to a third of that being crude oil sourced from local Australian oil and gas fields. Right. I get it, and it all sounds lovely, mm. but there's more to Australia than Victoria. Yes, thank God. <laughs> and Viva Energy CEO Scott White said the company's proud of its commitment to continue refining at Geelong and supported Australian energy security, and I'm sure that they do. Mm. We've got two refineries left in Australia, two, yep. from all those ones that we used to have. Mm. And, you know, we've got no reason at all why we should be dependent on fuel from overseas. The minimum stockholding obligation that we're looking for, it's sort of somewhere around 90 million litres, apparently. Right. And it sounds like a lot, but when you consider how many litres of fuel you put in the car, and you've only got to look at the traffic going up and down every day, how many litres of fuel are sitting in cars and a truckload of diesel, it's not a lot. We can get through it pretty quick. As long as they've got 26 days in stock and they're producing at a rate that sort of keeps it at that 26 days, then we should be okay. Yeah, well, you'd like to think so, mate. In the perfect world. In a perfect world, but we don't live in a perfect world, do we? Apparently not, no. I just worry about what does happen if there's an issue somewhere. We're a hell of a long way from anywhere. Mm. Just in the amount of time it would take us to ramp up production, if something does go wrong overseas, then we could be in dire straits fairly quickly. Yep. Everyone says without trucks, Australia stops. It's true. Without fuel, the trucks stop. Mm. And that's a reality. Yep. Mate, according to the federal government, front-end sensors to help detect cyclists, pedestrians and small cars could be in place in new trucks from next year. Nothing mentioned about motorcycles. No, no. We just run over them. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
there's a picture there written bigrigs.com.au where they're talking about this mandatory blind spot sensor story and that's a lovely picture of old mate Rod Hannafy's big blue K200. It looks like it needs a wash in the picture too. Mm. And he's got a thing called a Spotto hanging off the side. And if uh, listeners remember, we had a chat with Clive from Spotto there oh, a couple of months ago. And we were talking about the technology. I was pretty taken by it. It's a good idea. Yep. That's something that can be retrofitted on trucks. There are a lot of trucks there, or a few of the trucks now, the European ones, I think, have already got side sensors on them. Certainly some of the ones with a lane departure and all that sort of thing are out there. NHVR said legislation was updated in February 2021 to allow a wide range of blind spot rear view mirrors, cameras and sensors to be fitted. And we see pictures on the telly like the domain tunnel incident that's been played over and over and over and over again where old mate in the Argosy you know, does the great pit manoeuvre on that car in the tunnel there. Mm. These sort of accidents happen. And you know, I appreciate you know, the idea of technology being something to assist the driver, but the reality of it is... We do need to consider educating the motoring public about what blind spots there are, and there are some ads about that, and they're pretty good. I just think that we should probably be doing just as much in that area as we are in the installation of technology area. Yep, couldn't agree more. I used to work years ago for the 3M company, and they had a catchphrase that said, be safe, be seen. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Another thing I saw interesting, there was a, a guy driving around, I saw at a Volvo there, oh, couple months ago now mm. on the bottom of his left hand door passenger door he had if you can read this i can't see you yeah and uh, <laughs> just highlights the idea that if you're sitting beside his passenger door <laughs> you're in trouble yeah you can only encourage people tell everyone you know get out of the blind spots do what you can to stay out of them absolutely Mike, Hino Motors and their Australian operations, Hino Motors Australia, are facing a class action in the Supreme Court of Victoria over falsification of emissions and fuel economy data in Japan. Yeah, this is uh, something that's been a bit of an ongoing story. If you recall, we did talk about the potential for a class action, mm. and Gerard Maloof and partners have decided to take them on. Earlier this year, Hino admitted to some misconduct with fuel emissions testing and blamed internal pressures on it. I don't think anyone cares what the internal pressures are. Mm. The fact of the matter is that you people misled people. It's as simple as that. Yep. So Matthew Lowe, Specialist Counsel of Gerard Maloof and Partners Law Class Action Division, said the statement of claim alleges two causes of action against Hino. Firstly, alleging that Hino had not indicated correctly the capabilities of the vehicles in question. And the second alleges that there's been a non-compliance with emission standards in Australia. Mm. Somewhere between 40 and 50,000 vehicles over the last 20 years are under investigation. So this is no small thing. Stay tuned, mate. This is going to get better. A new road train signage trial is currently underway in WA with Centurion Transport and Cube Bolt taking part in the trial. Mate, they've done away with the road train sign. We're just going to put a picture on the back end with how long it is. Now, I don't have a problem with that, but they reckon that you know, this will give people a better indication of what sort of vehicles that people are looking to overtake in their cars. Mm. That's fine. But the reason they give for it is that the signage had become confusing. Well, I think the regulators have made the signage confusing because you know, we agreed that a long vehicle sign on the back of a B-double was you know, two trailers, no dolly, and that's a B-double, and that's a long vehicle. Mm. And then all of a sudden we started plastering long vehicle signs on 30-metre A-double combinations, what they call A-double combinations. And if you look at it, it's two trailers and a dolly. By any other name, it's a road train. Yep. We changed the configuration. We didn't change the sign. And people are coming up behind these things expecting to see a B-double and then discovering they've got an extra five metres of truck to get around. Yeah. I think that a road train was a road train was a road train. I don't, but I don't have a problem with the idea of putting a picture on the back of it saying how long it is. I wonder about the conformity of bringing these vehicles over the border. Do they have to put their old signage back on when they come out of Western Australia and come into South Australia, for example, for the east-west runners? I know it's not a big thing at the moment. I may be making too much out of it. But we had a suite of signs that was designed for you know, a couple of vehicles. If you can dream it now, you can get a bloody permit for it just about. Mm. You know, it's ridiculous. The signage hasn't kept up just the same as you know, technology hasn't kept up with what we do on the road. There's a lot of questions that you could ask around this sort of stuff. 
It's only a trial at the moment. Main Roads plans to implement the new signage for all Class 2 and Class 3 restricted access vehicles in Western Australia, including B-doubles, road trains and rigid truck and trailer combinations. So I'll have to wait and see what's going on. If you're operating in Western Australia and you want to know more about it, go to the Main Roads WA website and have a look. Or email hbs at mainroads.wa.gov.au and get more information. Yeah. Operators are required to pay for their own signs. I kind of like the idea of the pictures, you know, because a lot of people will see, you know, road train ahead and they will have no idea what constitutes a road train. Yeah. If they could get it adopted nationally, if you had yeah. even a cartoonized thing on the back that pretty much says, you know, you are following this yeah. with a picture, then every man, woman and his dog are going to have an idea of what's in front of them. 100%. Yeah, yeah 100%. It's kind of like the truckies version of the stick family on the back window of the car, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, yeah. Look, it's true. I mean, you get behind one of those quads and they're 60 metres long, you know. Hmm. A B-double can be uh, 26 metres long. There's a big difference. The amount of time you spend on the other side of the road can be a risk sometimes. Well, exactly. And does Mrs Jones on the way to the supermarket know what each combination is by name? I wouldn't think so. Mrs Jones going to the supermarket's probably got no idea, mate. Hmm. That is the problem. No offence to all the Mrs Joneses out there. I'm sure they're lovely switched on people. It's all right. They're probably like me. They're switched on. They just haven't been plugged in yet. Hmm. Mrs. Mrs. Jones. That's we a great got song, a thing going on. Going on. <laughs> I think that's about us, mate, for the news for the week, unless you got anything else. I think that's about us, mate. There were a couple of other things that I saw that were a little bit interesting. Only a couple? Mate, yeah. I, I, I just can't help myself. I just look around and I find these things. First of all, I want to talk about something just quickly. We don't want to get into too many details because the matter's still before the court. Mm. But we talked about the guy that got caught and was taken in to be interviewed, etc., about this accident that killed this little six-year-old kid several years ago. Mm. There's a story on news.com.au about this guy. He appeared via video link. All I can say is there's a lot of information that's come out there now. I don't particularly want to talk about it too much, except to say if what's been said, this guy deserves whatever becomes of him. Because this is the sort of thing we don't need in our industry. We really don't need this sort of publicity in our industry. It makes me sick. And we're not going to talk about it anymore. If you want to go and find that, go and have a look. And I'm sure A Current Affair will probably do something on it before we finish. Just quickly on that one, what astounds me, though, is in the story you see there, it happened when he was 44 or something. So we're talking well in excess of 10 years ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's taken this long for some sort of justice for that family, which is wrong. I agree. He hasn't been found guilty yet, but I'll tell you what, Mm. the information that's out there in the public sphere now is pretty damning to the point where, you know, they've got recordings of him admitting it. So to me, that's enough. If you've got that recording of him in his own voice admitting it and having a laugh about it, Mate, you're a human excrement. That's all I can say. We'll move on, mate. In a big rig's sister publication, Owner Driver, there's a great story there written by a guy I know personally, Chris Rowe, about old school mythology, mate. It's an interesting read. I'd encourage our listeners to go and have a bit of a read of it. It's certainly up there on the Owner Driver webpage talking about all sorts of things and a little bit of mythology and basically breaking down a few barriers and what Chris thinks about things. Chris is a fairly opinionated sort of a guy, and I like a lot of what he says. He's one of these few people that will actually ring me up and tell me I'm wrong occasionally. <laughs> Indeed. Just that my facts don't match up with his sometimes. <laughs> Mate, that's the news. Have you got something for me to think about while I'm getting ready to go to Kiwi Land? Mike, your thought for the week is this. The good part of getting older is that you've learned so much along the way. Yep. The bad part is you can't remember most of it. I've got to the point now where I can't remember what I did on Monday, mate. <laughs> yep, I'm hearing you. Your idea. You have a great weekend, mate, and I'll uh, I'll see you when I'm looking at you. You will indeed. We'll be in touch when you're across the pond there. Yeah, we'll we'll have a bit of a time difference, mate. I'll be drinking a beer while you're sipping your morning tea. Well, that's normal anyway, isn't it? <laughs> that's about it. Yeah, good on me. All right, mate. Right on, mate. Take it easy. See ya. For all the latest industry news, go to www.bigrigs.com.au. To take us out of the show this week is a singer-songwriter who hails from the beautiful coastal town of Ulladulla in New South Wales. 
Her last three singles have all charted in the top five, and she regularly gets more than 100,000 streams each time she loads a new song online. She's self-funded and truly independent. Here she is, Taylor Moss, with her new single, Ghosted. Last time I checked You were well and alive Now I can't even get a text back You're behaving like a child Is your heart still trying to beat? Are you finding it hard to breathe? Cause I thought you wanted me Yeah, you made me believe And it's too I feel it like some straight out boy who deen it. You were gone, you were gone. So forget your name and delete your number. Bury the idea six feet under. I'm gonna take a grave for your little games. This woman don't wanna play. Rest in peace, but don't wait talking. Give me a man, not a dead man walking. You're on the other side. On the Road is proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer, and Queensland Rail committed to improving safety through engineering, innovation and education. Be sure to join us again next week when our guest says... Oh dear. Mike says... Oh, you knows. And Andy says... I so get that. In the meantime, play nice with each other and most of all, stay safe out there. Bye for now. The team here at On The Road believe in the right to free speech, and whilst we might not always be in agreement with the views of our guests and contributors, we support their right to hold and express those opinions. I won't be